All right, we've been uh, looking at the Lord's instruction to us when the disciples came to him and said, you know, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Then Jesus' answer to them is what we affectionately call in Christendom the Lord's Prayer, recorded in Matthew and in Luke. And uh, Jesus gave that prayer, and he said, Our Father, we looked at that, and he said, Who art in heaven? Holy is your name, or hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, we're up to the next part of the prayer today. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Someone say amen. Amen. And, you know, Jesus is here giving us instruction on how to pray, right? So part of his instruction is found in this phrase, give us this day our daily bread. Matthew uh, 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. I'm going to break that down into three simple points this morning. Give us, everybody say give us. This day our daily bread. Is that pretty simple? I think you can go home and remember that. Give us this day our daily bread. All right. Father, we just ask for your help today. As we look to your word, we're asking, Father, for you to help us understand what Jesus was teaching us in this portion of this prayer. And we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at that. Give us. Give us. I want to establish from the beginning this morning, these two words make something abundantly clear. It is okay to ask God for things. Hello? I know some of you are like, you know, reluctant to ask God for things, but it's very simply there. Give us, right? I mean, do you understand the the statement, give us? If I go to my wife, give me this or give me that, it's actually kind of a, she would prefer a please in front of it or, 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 or thank you after it, right? But But none of that language is here. It's almost like we can come to God and we can just say, God, I need you to do this for me, right? Give us, give us. It's okay to ask God to give you things. Now, I know that there's a lot of truth in the fact that God is especially motivated to answer prayers that are given up to him on behalf of others. I think that when we pray on behalf of others, when we're asking God to heal someone else, when we're asking God to do a miracle in someone else, when we're, we're actually asking and petitioning heaven on behalf of someone else, I think that that's uh, probably an even more powerful prayer. George Mueller, the famous German evangelist that opened up five different orphanages in Bristol, England, uh, and uh, housed over 10,000 children in the 1800s, all right? Uh, during the cholera uh, epidemic and when many children were left uh, parentless, uh, this German evangelist came to England and literally opened up uh, uh, orphanages that housed thousands of children. And one of the things that he made sure to do was he never asked anybody for anything. He only asked God. He would only ask God. Every day he would petition God And he would ask God that all the needs that they had at the orphanage 
would be met. And he would daily go to God and, and he, and, and you can go, there's a, a museum over in England where you can go and you can look at his daily inventory of things that he would ask God for. And, and then when the answers came, all the things would get checked off. It's quite the experience to see all of the requests that he brought before the Lord. And someone asked him, uh, you know, did God always answer his prayers? And he said, yes, 100% of the time, God always answered my prayers. And then they asked him, they said, well, what's the secret? Why did God always answer your prayers? And he said, the key is that I never asked for anything for myself. So he was always asking on behalf of the 10,000 children that were in his care. And so I think there's a certain nobility to that truth that it's for sure awesome that when we're petitioning God on behalf of others. But the Lord's Prayer, everybody say the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer seems to make it clear that we can go to God and we can ask God, not just for other people, but for who? For me. Give us. Give us. Now, let's be honest. I don't think that there's anybody here this morning who came to God purely out of altruism. In other words, for the benefit of others, right? Let's face it. We are not by nature altruistic. We are egotistic. Does everybody understand the difference between the two? We, we are not others-centered and oriented. We're me-centered and oriented. And, and all of us, if we're honest, we came to God because we had a need. Now, some people came to God initially because that's what their spouse wanted or that's what their parents wanted or that's what their child wanted. But in, in the end, they ultimately still came for their need because they needed their spouse to be okay with them, their child to be okay with them. They came because they had a need and they knew that God and God alone could meet that need. That's why we come to God. We come to God because we have a need and we're convinced that he has the answer to that need. Amen? So we come to God with a need. And whether that need was addictions, whether that need was uh, sickness or restoration of relationship, or whether it was a financial crisis, or whether it was an emotional healing or an identity crisis, or on and on the list goes, we come to God and we're believing that God can meet that need in our life. Amen? And so we come to him. And contained right here in the Lord's Prayer is Jesus encouraging us to do that. To come to him and saying, God, give to me, give to me. It's a clear directive from the Lord that he is interested in giving things to us. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus himself taught, if, you're, if you being human, if you being carnal, if you being of flesh know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Everybody say, how much more? Will the Holy Spirit give uh, good things to us or will God give the Holy Spirit to us, right? How much more will he give good things to us? He wants to do good things to you. He wants to bless you. It's his nature. It's how he's wired, if you will. He is the God of goodness. He is the God of love. He is the God who doesn't do anything to half measure, right? Just look at our world. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. I got to tell you this. This is just totally off topic, but that, that you know, you can actually go on and, and there's this place off the coast of Denmark where there's an underwater waterfall. And you're like, what? How does that work? There, you can actually see it through the surface of the water. There's photos of it. 
and you can see water running underwater and going over a cliff. You're like, that doesn't make any sense at all. But it's because the two waters are different temperatures. So you can see the surface water being warmer, the colder water being pushed down, the colder water is rushing over this cliff and then pummeling down and forcing other water up. And it's a waterfall underwater. Nobody but God could come up with that. I saw a picture of the first time I said, is this some kind of an optical illusion? No, it's real. I'm not making this up. An underwater waterfall. So cool. There are things like that all over this incredible globe that God has displayed his splendor. He does not do half a job anywhere. He does an amazing job. And when I look out and see all of you, I see the amazing, unique job he did in every one of you. There's no two of you. The whole universe is too small for God to even express himself once. And so he expresses himself in lavishness all over the place. Amen? That's the God we go to and we say, God, I've got a need. Can you help me out? Amen? Give us. Then it says, this day. Everybody say, this day. Our request to God is to provide for us what we immediately need. We're not told to ask God for provision for the next year or the next month or the next week or even for tomorrow. We're told, give us this day. This day what I have need of. This day. And we are so focused. In fact, we worry so much. Many of you spend a lot of time, if you're honest, laying awake at night worrying about tomorrow or the next day or the next day, right? And, and some of you didn't think you were worriers, but COVID made it really clear that you were a worrier. As everything that we knew and everything that we were used to is stripped away, we realize that all of a sudden, I worry a lot more than I thought I worried. I get a little wound tight about these things, you know? And, and I had so many people come to me that they were very, they, they were afraid, they were worried, they were worried for their children, they were worried for their parents, they were, they were just worry started to get released. The spirit of worry just seemed to consume people in this last season. And yet the scripture says, give us this day. It's not worried about tomorrow. Jesus, in, in fact, said, and if you read down further in Matthew 6, after the Lord's Prayer, you get to verse 31. And Jesus said, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, listen to this, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, there's enough to stuff to deal with today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Get through today. Call on God for the grace to get through today and don't worry about tomorrow. Are you hearing me? And yet, man, oh man, is it so easy to fall into the trap of worrying about tomorrow. But the instruction from the Lord is, ask God, for your need for today, for today. Don't worry about the future. Now, this doesn't mean you shouldn't plan for the future. Planning, how many know planning and worrying are not the same thing? Amen? Amen? They're not the same thing. In fact, if you plan for the future, you won't have to worry in the future, right? 
And I have some Christians who read this and they think, oh, so that means I don't have to save for retirement. I don't have to do this. That's not what the scripture says. It says not to worry about tomorrow, but it never says not to plan for tomorrow. In fact, there are many other scriptures where Jesus says, before King goes off to war, does he not think to himself, can I with my 1,000 men take on this king with his 10,000 men? Or if a man is going to build a house, does he not plan first and think, do I have enough material to be able to build that house? right? Planning is a kingdom value. Worrying is not. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm not a worrier. Never have been. I let other people do it. It's a, it's not something I want to add to my skill set. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to pick up stuff uh, and worry about what's coming down the pipe. I, I just have not been. And right from the beginning of the pandemic, I, I explained to people my logic in the whole thing was simple was God would protect me from getting COVID. If I did get COVID, God would heal me. If God didn't heal me, I'd go to heaven. All three options are fine with me. So what do I have to worry about? We had a poor guy from Elections Canada came in here last fall and Mark and I were showing around the building and they were getting ready for all the, for creating the polling station and stuff. And, and he was, he was wound a little bit tight. And so uh, anyway, Mark and I are walking around. He goes, aren't you guys, uh, you know, worried about this thing. And so I told him those three points. And then he went, wow, I wish I could have faith like that. And I said, you can. (laughs) And so as it ended up, I did get COVID and point one happened. He healed me. So I'm fine. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? You just have to believe and, and you have to put your hope and your faith in God and worries not to be part of it. And like I said, the pandemic, it caught a lot of people off guard and but it didn't catch God off guard. God was not surprised by it. Now, depending on whether you're a hardcore uh, determinist or not, in other words, a hardcore Calvinist or not, you know, it it affects your theology on this. So a hardcore Calvinist would say God created COVID-19 and he did all that kind of stuff. Uh, However, I'm not really in that camp. Uh, I would say that he didn't create it, but he knew that it was coming and he created beings that would, could be affected by it. And he had a plan to bring about glory through the whole thing. So as, as Joseph said to his brothers, what you caused or what you planned for evil, God has an intention to do and use for good. Amen. And so I happen to think that way. I don't think God was at all caught off guard by it. And I believe that God had a plan for it and that God has been working through us, his church, in the midst of this season to be hands and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ to the world that needs him. Amen? I believe that with all my heart. And uh, I believe that what happens, though, is that there's a, often a difficulty comprehending what it is to truly believe God. In fact, I'm going to put it to you this way. There's a difference between believing God and trusting God right? I could say to you, do you believe that God's in control? Yes. But do you trust him with that control? You'll say, well, it's the same thing. No, it's not the same. I'll I'll illustrate how it's not the same thing. How many have ever heard of Charles Blondin? Ever heard of that guy? He's a famous tightrope walker. And uh, he was only five foot five, weighed 140 pounds. Little French guy that became known as Blondin because his hair was bright, bright blonde. And He's famous because he was the first person to tightrope a walk across Niagara Falls. And he did that on uh, June the 30th, 1859. 
They strung a rope across Niagara Falls, and he started on the American side, and he walked across the falls with a big 50-foot-long pole, and then turned around, and he went back. And everybody was astounded. They had, uh, everybody you could think of was there. They'd all gathered around to watch this guy. So then he announced that on July 4th, to celebrate July 4th, he was going to do it again. And this time, now you got to remember 1859. How many know how big cameras were in 1859? So this time, there are massive things. You sat on a tripod, you got underneath the curtain, you took the picture, right? So this time, he put a camera on his back. He walked halfway across the falls, and, and then he stopped in the middle. And you got to remember, this rope is like sagging like this. He's standing in the middle on the rope. He stops, sets the camera up in the middle of the rope on a single leg, puts the thing over and takes a picture of the crowd watching him on the side, then puts the camera back on his back and carries it on across. I know, pretty amazing, huh? Well, then, then, on uh, July 15th, he decided to up his game. So this time, after walking back and forth over the falls a few times, he got a wheelbarrow. And he had taken the rubber off the wheelbarrow, so it was just the, the rim, and he wheeled a wheelbarrow across the falls and then back. And people were like astounded by this. And then he said, how many of you believe that I could wheel this wheelbarrow across the falls with somebody in it? The crowd said, well, yes, we believe you could do that. Then he said, can I get a volunteer? <laughs> Nobody volunteered. He couldn't get anybody to get in the wheelbarrow. Sure, they believed he could do it, but did they trust that he could do it? Do you see the difference? And a lot of us, we approach God the exact same. Oh, God, I believe you. Oh, God, I believe you love me and you want to meet my need and that you're interested in everything about me. And then you wake up the next morning and you're worried about where your food's going to come from. You're worried about your health. You're worried about this. You're worried about that. Whatever happened to believe in God? There's a difference between belief where you're acknowledging something's possible and trusting that it will be so. See, the kind of belief that we're talking about the word Greek word that's used for belief when it comes to believing in Christ is a Greek word called pistuo. And that word means to put your complete trust in. Now in English, we just have the word believe, but it's translation. It literally means to put your complete trust in, to put all your apples in that barrel, so to speak. That's what it means to believe God, to trust him. Do I trust him this day? Everybody say, this day. Do I trust him this day to meet my need? And as if James, the brother of Jesus, wanted to make it even more clear what we're talking about, James 2.19 says this, and he, he explains the difference right here. He says, you believe that there's one God? Great, you're doing well. Even the demons believe that, and they tremble. So you see, a lot of people say, well, I believe in God, but they believe in the God the same way the devil believes in God. And James says, big deal. Okay, that's great. You believe in God. But do you trust him? What God's looking for is for a people that will trust him with their life. A people that will take their entire existence and their family and their, their friends and everything that they hold dear and they will place it in the care of Jesus Christ. They'll trust him with their life. They'll trust him with their home. They'll trust him with their future. Simple belief in God's not enough. 
We have to cultivate a relationship with him that is so deep that we trust him on every single level with every single aspect of our life. That's what he's looking for. It's that simple. You know, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But now that you know what that word believe, pistuo, means, that whosoever would put their whole trust in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's God's promise to you and I. Give us this day. And then the final statement that he makes in this part of the prayer, verse 11, is our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. That's what we're told to ask for. We're, going, we're told to go to God, say this day, give me this day my daily bread. What is our daily bread? I believe there's two biblical interpretations for daily bread. There may be more, but as far as I'm concerned, uh, these two are the, the dominant themes in Scripture. So the first thing I think he means by bread that you can interpret from this word, our daily bread, is our daily provision. God literally provided bread from he- heaven for the Israelites when they escaped Egypt, right? The word manna is also translated, many translations, bread. Bread came, literally bread came from heaven and God provided for the people of Israel, right? Every day. Everybody say every day. day. And and here's the incredibly, almost like prophetic of what Jesus was saying in the Lord's prayer here. You could only gather enough for this day. What happened if you gathered more than you needed for today? It went rotten, right? Isn't that an incredible revelation that, that bread literally fell from heaven and you were, you were permitted to pick it up off the ground and God just provided, but he provided for this day. If you gather, so well, I'm going to gather some, so I'll make sure I have some t- for tomorrow because you never know, maybe the bread won't show up tomorrow. It went rotten. It went, went, went rotten. But miraculously, on Saturday, you could elect, collect enough for Sunday for Sabbath, and it didn't go rotten, right? And I guess being Old Testament, it was collecting on a Friday for Saturday. But uh, do you know what I'm saying? You could collect enough on the day before the Sabbath for the Sabbath so you didn't have to work on the Sabbath, and miraculously, the provision of the Lord for that day was fine. But any other day that you collected too much, it went rotten, right? As if God was saying, my provision is for your daily needs, your daily needs. And then when the people whined and complained because they were tired of bread, right? How many can understand that? Bread would get a little boring. I think my son-in-law, John, would be fine with bread every day. But, but you know, uh, I'd be like with my boys and they're saying, Lord, I need a little meat, right? So quail just showed up. There was quail everywhere and they, they could have all the quail they wanted. But again, you could just take the quail you need for today, right? And so God was saying, I will take care of your daily needs, your daily provision. David said in Psalm 37, verse 25, he said, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. In other words, David was saying, God always provides. God always provides. That's that word again, bread being used to represent 
the needs that we have as a people and God taking care of us. Psalm 132 verse 15 says, I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. In other words, here he is speaking about Israel and he's saying, I'm going to satisfy all the needs of the nation. Even her poor will have enough. Even her poor will have enough. And when God moves, even the poor will have enough. Hello? Are you hearing me this morning? Proverbs 25, verse 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Here, this verse is saying that that if we really are godly people, we'll make provision even for our enemies. So that God is saying bread is a symbol of provision, is there for you and everything that you have need of. It's there even for the poor. It's there even for your enemies. That God is the God who provides. That when he talks about, give us this day our daily bread, he's talking about your daily provision. There are many other verses that talk about the same thing and use bread as a symbol of sustenance and a symbol of provision. But the bottom line is, he's promised to provide for us. Do we trust him? Do we trust him? And then finally, I think bread is also not just symbolic of our, our daily provision, but it's also, it's also symbolic of Jesus, right? Matthew 4, 4. But he answered and he said to them, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So not only will he provide our daily needs, but we need something more. We need a daily provision of his word. We need physical nourishment and we need spiritual nourishment. Jesus put it simply, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The greatest word that was ever spoken was the word Jesus. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. Wow. And then in verse 14, you ready for this? This is the kicker. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus is the word that we need that will sustain us even greater than bread. Jesus is who we need daily in our lives. Amen? But Jesus didn't leave it up to interpretation. He was straightforward. John chapter six, verse 35, Jesus said it so clear, so clear that we, you know, almost would have to trip over it. And this is what he said. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread. Give us this day our daily bread. I am the bread. Lord, daily give me Jesus. Daily give me Jesus. Daily give me Jesus. John 6, 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. 
he who eats this bread will live forever. Oh, he gave bread in the Old Testament, but it just nourished the body. The bread he gives in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, that nourishes the spirit. And that is what we need every day. We need daily bread. We need daily nourishment. We need God to take care of our physical needs, yes, but we need the bread that is Jesus. We need to receive Jesus every day. You know, too many people come to Christ in need. They call it to God. He meets that need. And then they, they kind of add Christ like a tattoo. Right? Something that marks us on the outside that most of us have in a location nobody ever sees unless we happen to take our shirt off or pull up our pant leg or whatever. And most people add Jesus like that. Oh yeah, I'm marked by Jesus, but nobody ever sees it. Nobody ever knows, nobody ever... Yeah, it's there, it's there, and it, and it was even maybe a little painful to receive it. But nobody ever notices it. And Jesus doesn't want to be just a tattoo. He wants to be the source. He wants to be your bread. He wants to be not worn on the outside. He wants to transform us from the inside. Amen? He wants, to, he wants us to partake of him and to have every aspect of our nature transformed by him. That's what Jesus wants. And so when he says, give us this day our daily bread, most of us just read it and think, yep, I can come to God and I can tell him I got a bill to pay today. I need this done. I need that done. But when he says our daily bread, he means something way more than just meeting our earthly physical needs. He means take on daily him, his nature, his person. He even said, I'm the bread come down from heaven. The bread, the forefathers ate, they ate it. They still died. The bread that you take of me, my life, you'll take on. And even though your flesh will die, you will never die. Hallelujah. Are you hearing me this morning? This is what Jesus wants for us. To daily, daily come to him and be sustained by him. So you understand this morning that when the Lord's teaching us in this verse 11, to give us this day our daily bread, He's, he's saying more to us than to go to him and to ask of him to have what we need to sustain us on a daily basis so that we can continue to physically exist. He's asking us to go to him daily and say, God, this is what I need so that I can be transformed every day from the inside out to look more like Jesus, to transform the world around me into the nature of Jesus so that I can be transformed by the renewing of my mind through Jesus. I need daily doses of Jesus. And so you can't afford to go from Sunday to Sunday and never crack the spine of your Bible. Because Jesus comes to us as what? The Word. The Word became flesh, but he's still the Word. Get the Word into you. I'll be the first to admit, I'm not the greatest prayer. I'm growing in my journey of prayer. I'm growing in my journey of prayer. But I've always been a word person. I got saved and I dove into the word of God. 
I was a young Catholic boy that was introduced to Jesus, and I dove into the Word of God. And I read the New Testament uh, three times and the Old Testament once in the first year that I was saved. I never had read the Bible before, and I'd heard certain verses repeated in the annual uh, church calendar, so I knew certain stories. I knew the story of his crucifixion, obviously. I knew the story of his birth. I knew certain stories that were part of the homilies that were given throughout the church calendar year, but I didn't, I'd never read the Bible. And so here I had an insatiable appetite for the Word of God, and I began to read the Word, and something began to happen to me. My life began to be transformed by the Word of God. I was set free from addictions, not because I prayed for it, but because I was transformed by the word of God. I was given a calling on my life, not because I prayed for it or asked for it, but because I was transformed by the word of God. I'm not suggesting you shouldn't pray. You do need to pray. And in fact, I'm, I'm saying, God, help me with my prayer game every day, but I will not abandon my word game because I will be transformed in the renewing of my mind through the word of God. I need my daily dose of the word because I daily need the bread. I daily need Jesus to transform me on the inside. And his word does that. You can't live without the word. You're kidding yourself to think you can live your Christian life Sunday to Sunday. The only word you hear all week is what you hear on Sunday. That's like, how many of you could eat every Sunday but the rest of the week not eat? Yeah, Barry's like, I find that in Jesus' name. That is not Barry and I's problem. Just want to make that clear. But, but how many of you could do it? How many know your life would be short if you only ate on Sundays, right? It would be short. We'd give you a couple months, maybe tops, and you're dead. Because you would die of malnutrition. Because it's not enough to sustain you. Do you hear me this morning? No, you need daily bread in order to survive. Well, how many know your, your relationship with God is no different? You, you don't just survive on what you receive on Sunday. You survive and you thrive because you daily go to him and receive his bread. I think too many times we're guilty of just being Sunday Christians. And then we wonder why when we come up against a, a big mountain, why we don't have the strength, why we don't have the spiritual fortitude to stare that mountain down, to see it cast into the sea. And it's because we've only been sustained on Sunday. And then, since most people nowadays consider themselves a regular Christian and churchgoer if they go twice a month, so you're looking at, at best, you had 26 meals a year. How many know 26 meals a year, you're not going to survive? Hello? Sunday is great. Sunday is not your, your devotional time, though. Sunday is about getting empowered and, and built up so you can go out and carry out the work of the Lord throughout the rest of the week. But it's what you do every day, coming to the table. As my wife said, and the invitation is there every day to come to the table and to be nurtured through the bread of life. And it all starts with an acknowledgement of our need for him. We sang that song, Oh God, oh God, I need you. Oh, how I need you now. How I need you now. We daily need Jesus. And for some of you that daily, you need to start right now. 
and we want to pray with you today to start right now. Some of you have just been neglectful. It's been sporadic at best. It's been a little here, a little there. Maybe once or twice you cracked the spine of the word between Sundays, but you're saying, Lord, I'm, I'm hearing what he's saying. I need you now. And we do need him because we're not going to be able to stand up and fight the good fight of faith if we've only been living on nourishment from Sunday to Sunday. Instead, we'll be weak, we'll be anemic, we'll be powerless. We need daily bread. We need to have cultivated a daily relationship with God, daily in his word, daily in prayer, daily. I believe the Lord's speaking to people today that God is, you're hearing the call of God. He yearns to be with you daily. He yearns to speak to you. He yearns to reveal himself to you, to show you his glory. The fault is not on the side of God. He is not withholding anything from us. He withheld from previous generations before the Christ. But since Jesus paved the way for us, he's holding nothing back from the church. The mysteries of God have been revealed to this generation. He's he's not holding anything back anymore. He wants to show up and show us his divine nature. He wants to reveal himself to us in ever great measure, increasing measure in our lives. But we have to develop that hunger for him. I told you a few weeks ago when we started this series back in January of the young kid that came to the pastor and wanted to learn to pray. And the pastor took him down to the river shoved his head underwater, held it there for about a minute. And then he let the kid up. And the kid's like, what did you do that for? And then he said, well, when you desire God the way you desired that next breath, then you'll understand what it is to pray. That's where it begins. Hungering for God. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. You alone are my heart's desire and I long to worship you. That's what God's calling us to. And if you hear me this morning, if you're saying, God, I'm, I'm, I want a deeper walk with you. I want you to come and just stand with me this morning here at the front. Don't be shy. Doesn't matter where you're at presently in the journey. If you want to go deeper, you might be just living off of Sunday's bread, but you're saying, I know I need it Monday through Saturday too then you need to get up here and make that demonstration of faith to God. You might be someone who says, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm get, I get Sunday, then Monday I'm still living on Sunday, so I go Monday again. And, but by Wednesday, it's getting a little weak. Then, then you need to get up here too. Praise the Lord. 